I guess it sort of goes back to to my philosophy. I, I like to get the the structural fundamentals right. I think they're 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 very important. What does the the structural fundamentals mean? Because I'm sure a lot of people say it and throw it around. But what what it, what I'm talking about is the the basic push pull, the overhead press, the overhead pull, squat lunge, the hip hinge, your jumping, your landing, all your basic movement competencies. They're they're what we need to work on really to get that foundation of strength and power. If we don't have that, and it's like building your house on sand. Hello and welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe to my YouTube channel to receive a notification and never miss a live interview. I hope you enjoyed this interview and please share with a friend or a teammate that you think will value this episode. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. My name is Jack McLean. I am your host and today my guest is Brendan Parsons. He's currently the strength and power coach at the Gold Coast Titans and our discussion for today's chat will be everything you need to know when it comes to designing a strength and power program. So if you're an SNC coach, an aspiring SNC coach, or even for developing athletes that might be following your own program and you're interested in learning a little bit more what it takes to, to train like an athlete, then make sure to get the notepad out and, and send in your questions as well if you're tuning in with us live and we'll find some time, no doubt, at the end to, to answer those questions. But thanks for jumping on, Brendan. Really looking forward to the chat, mate. Yeah, I look forward to it too, Jack. So uh, yeah, hopefully, like I said before, we got to, hopefully people can get something interesting out of what I'm saying. Absolutely, I'm sure they will. I guess we'll we'll kick it off for those that aren't aware of your background, mate. Do you mind sort of starting? I guess where you found the passion for for strength and conditioning, and then yeah, yeah, your academic side and and strength and conditioning roles you've had over the years. Sure, I guess I guess like a lot of strength and conditioning coaches, I guess I'm a little bit of a failed athlete, like everyone everyone else who's done strength and conditioning. I was an okay rugby rugby union player, even though I was living in Melbourne. I, I sort of got into strength and conditioning via that when coaches said I needed to put on size and they were giving out strength programs for, for the team. Uh, and I was just sort of influenced also by, by bodybuilding in the 1980s when I was sort of in my formative sort of teenage years growing up, really showing my age now, I guess. But yeah, like Muscle and Fitness magazines, certainly some articles by Charles Poliquin in there, uh, the late Charles Poliquin now. And and that sort of just just gave me the idea that there there could be a way to add performance to to athletes. I didn't really know too much about it then, and it was very much in its infancy in in Australia, from what I've known. And I know you've spoken to Loris, and he he was be he was around even further uh, before that I was working in the industry. I guess, and and then from that period, I, I left left school, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Got a job in a bank for a few years. Really decided I hated that. But I was still playing relatively level, relatively high level rugby union, and I just wanted to see if I could use that part of my my sporting sort of background to dovetail into you know a job that I could really enjoy. And that's that's when I went to the university as a mature age student, 24, 25 years old, and yeah, studied studied a, a sports science degree at Vic Uni in, in Footscray, and that sort of gave me the pa- passion a little bit, or maybe not the passion, more the direction of where I needed to fill in the gaps in, in my knowledge. And and then I guess in my third year of of, of that degree, I, I decided to do a, a Victorian Institute of Sport. And that really cemented my direction where I wanted to go as a as a strength and conditioning coach. And it really highlighted that there was a, a very large gap between my my current knowledge base, which was really bodybuilding, 
and exercises like that and and the I guess the the burgeoning strength and conditioning scene sort of slowly coming out in Australia but sort of picking backing up picking back off a lot of the stuff that's been happening in in the states for you know 30 40 years so I didn't even know there was a, there was a lot of research back then and just coming into like an institute like setting with the, the VIS I just really understood that that there was a large gap between my, my knowledge of what I thought athletes were, were using and 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 what athletes probably should be using. You mentioned Loris. Are there other sort of mentors or influences that have uh, helped shape your philosophy along the way? Sure. Well, definitely the VIS was was very formative. Uh, back then, it, it had a quite a dogmatic system that, that they like to adhere to. It was we were sort of known around Australia as the Swiss Ball Institute, where they they really, I guess a lot of their theories were more about realigning the body, about fixing problems within the systems or proper, proper neuromuscular function. Uh, so I learned a lot of that stuff very early on in the piece. Uh, and, you know, I, th- I guess as a young coach, probably go in a little bit too full on and drink, drink the Kool-Aid and I, I probably probably went too far down that path but i guess in a good way it helped form formulate some of my ideas and philosophies moving forward and also while i was there i'd also denise jennings a mentor of mine really sort of i guess put my sort of ideas back on track from from about the early 2000s onwards sort of steering steering back onto things that i knew worked beforehand but i got a little bit sidetracked from from all the the postural when the, the muscle alignment and um you know, we, we must align before we load and all of these sort of theories that, that were being bandied about at that point in time, certainly certainly in, in Victoria. What else? Uh, although 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 not really have I uh, you know, integrated that much with Dan Baker, a lot of his research in the uh, early 90s with the Broncos just sort of opened my eyes a bit to, to what strength initiative can be in a very scientific approach. And I think that was that was just like, oh, wow. And I, I, it, it really... I thought it was just, you know, loading up and, you know, we're doing squats, we're doing bench, we're doing deadlifts, but no, it's, there, there's, there's actually more, more to this, this caper and it's actually, obviously that's evolved quite dramatically in the last 20 years. I've been involved in strength and conditioning, so that's been really interesting to see that evolve over time. I guess when I went internationally, I sort of looked more, more widely and, and read more widely and a lot of people, I guess, in this modern age with Instagram and and, and you know, LinkedIn. It's a lot easier to 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 talk with some some of the leading people overseas, and certainly some of the ideas of Mike Boyle. It's sort of weird. I, I think my ideas were sort of developed sort of in parallel, and it seems quite quite similar. A lot of our ideas, although he's written a book and far more acknowledged uh, than me. It's just interesting that although I hadn't read in any of his books beforehand, a lot of the the ideas behind how he programs is, is what I had developed within my own sort of systems, borrowing and stealing from everyone like we do. So that was that was interesting. And I've sort of I've always been involved in track and field. So I, I, I read a lot of Charlie Francis' stuff early, early on, bit of training, uh, not only by myself, integrating with my coach, Steve Gaffney, but also just asking a lot of questions from track coaches when I was at, at the VBIS, but also when I was with Coach Steve. So, yeah, that really formulated a lot of my ideas on, on conditioning and speed training, which I've, I've sort of developed over time. So I, I really feel that to me, it's like if you want to run fast and you want to understand conditioning, go to the people that make people run fast and do all the conditioning. 
so for athletes so i thought best way to go and that's 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 what i sort of done and they're, they're sort of pulled me in all different directions but uh, that's how it's formulated i guess an overall sort of global look at the way yeah the way we prepare athletes yeah love that they stay unturned and what about highlights mate like over your career any particular moments or stories that spring front of mind that you're proud of yeah, I guess, oh, there's so many different ones, but I guess, look, I, I really liked my time when I was in the AFL at, at your old, at your current club, actually, Melbourne, just to, I was heading up the, the speed and the rehab programs and just, we had our best records for not only injury prevention, but injury, injury reoccurrence. We did that for two years in a row until we, we, we modified some of, some of our programs. So, no, very, very pleased about that. Obviously, the stuff I've done with China, I, I pretty much built a strength conditioning program for the Shanghai Sports Institute from the ground up over 10 years. So that was quite satisfying. Built and designed like a, a, a gym facility for, for three different venues. Uh, obviously, a, a few world championships and, and gold medals working with Chinese track cycling. That's That's been very satisfying. I guess I guess another thing that I'm too sure for many other coaches have said, I, I, I really enjoy that a mentor. A lot of people that I've been mentoring are actually working um, high performance jobs in, in in Australia and also Asia. You know, I've got one who's got his own facility in WA, another one who's in AFL, another one's heading up a program in Hong Kong. So just just great to see that a lot of our a lot of the mentors I've had over the many years are out there doing good things. And yeah, I, I, that 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 sort of gets me up, and I find that yeah, it's it's another measure of success that maybe maybe coaches don't think about just the wins and the losses and oh we won this season. But I think I think coaching development I think is an essential part of being being a coach, developing the younger younger ones coming through. And those like mentees, did they, were they uh, past colleagues that you'd work with in programs, or did they reach a bit of both actually? Some are past colleagues, some are. I actually ran a mentor program at, at Shanghai Institute and got some Australian coaches over there. We did an intensive mentorship for three to four months. So that was that. Uh, I'm currently got some younger mentors currently at the Gold Coast Titans. So it, I guess it's, it's a real bit of both. Some have reached out, some have been, I've worked with, and some have actually advertised to come in. Um, and, and obviously being of, of a certain standard, we were looking for, certainly when I was in Shanghai. And yeah. Most of those were leading to leading to jobs afterwards. So it's yeah, it's a great way to not only get across some of your important ideas and get get them to really start thinking about their own personal philosophies, but um, yeah, just a good way of I think of um, paying it paying it forward to to some of the young coaches coming through. Absolutely, well said, mate. And uh, and no doubt they're lucky to have you in your in, your, in their corner. Uh, what about uh, biggest challenges that you faced? Yeah, what have you sort of learned or how have you sort of grown as a coach facing those challenges? I think I always wanted to be learning more and more of the technical side of things, but I think there comes a point where you become a better coach by learning learning the soft sciences. I think that seems to be a current theme. So I think knowing the point where the, the technical side is a law of diminished returns, that is, that's only one point. Uh, a real basic one that we all... We'll, we'll find out at some point in coaching, being sacked, just understanding that it's a part of the job and, and sometimes there's nothing you can do. It's, I mean, that's very easy to say at the time and very tough to, to actually go through. But yeah, just understand that, that, that being sacked doesn't necessarily reflect on you as a coach or the performance team that you're with. So that was definitely 
challenge and probably the biggest one I, I, I did, and I'm, I'm not too sure if Laura said it heading over to China, the cultural differences, Australia are probably 180 degrees difference. Like from, from an Australian coaching point of view, I guess we're, we're an aggressive culture. If I have a problem with, with another coach or an athlete, we, we're not quite, we're not shy and coming forward and just saying that that's the problem. The cultural issues in China, you couldn't do that because of the face saving culture. So it was quite difficult to sometimes get the, the cut and thrust of what I want to get across in the sessions and the organization we could go to, but like having to prove yourself time and time again, like I would go to a new sport in China and it's just like, they're not going to listen to you until they can really see a that you're giving a value added and b you're going to help them win so once once and and this is what we're in we're in the winning business and if we're not winning we're not in business but if in 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 that environment it was very cutthroat and if if they couldn't see that that you're helping them win or you couldn't provide that uh, stimulus to help them to solve some problems to allow them to win more games they, they would just cut you off at the knees and you'd, you'd have to go find another team to work with so yeah just just i think cultural differences were 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 a big one in china it took, took me very you know a long time to to do some of the changes i, I went in there as a, a relatively young coach wanting to change the world and i don't care who you are whether you go to china america the uk india you know you can't walk in and say everything you're doing is is poor no one wants to hear that so it's it's how do we sell that message of how do we turn the ship around i guess to to get rid of some of the structures that are really i guess pulling our performance down and being very detrimental to our performance and how how can we change that to just ride that ship in the right direction but understanding that that process is probably a 18 month to, to two year process rather than a three to six month process yeah i think cultural change anywhere is difficult yeah whether it's afl rugby league or you know in olympic sports setting that was that was that was a difficult one but but now it be advice sorry what was that joe i was just going to say is that would that be your advice for someone that's changing so if they've worked in australia and they're going to a new country a new environment perhaps a new sport they haven't worked in take your time focus on the you know some key areas of the program and, and now down on that and getting buy-in first and then start to lay things in over time 100 percent, 100 percent. don't don't be in a hurry to to change things because you know it's you know a, a lot of people it doesn't matter whether it's overseas or here a lot of people are very proud proud of their programs and and too much change too quickly can, can not only destabilize the athletes but can destabilize the, the organization as well so um Change is good, but just the implementation of that change is. I just we we need to be mindful as coaches to yeah, not 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 try to rush things through without actually thinking through the ramifications of those changes. We'll dive straight into the into the key topic, I guess. To kick it off, what would you say are the sort of key fundamentals from your point of view when it comes to designing a an effective strength and power program for I guess field based team athletes, your rugby's and football coaches? Sure. I guess it sort of goes back to my philosophy. I, I like to get the the structural fundamentals right. I think they're 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 very important. What does the the structural fundamentals mean? Because a lot of I'm sure a lot of people say it and throw it around. But what what it, what I'm talking about is the the basic push pull, the overhead press, the overhead pull, squat lunge, the hip hinge, your jumping, your landing, all your basic movement competencies. Uh, they're they're 
what we need to work on really to get that foundation of strength and power. If we don't have that, it's like building your house on sand. You, you, there's going to be a lot of power leakage. So really big on the structural stuff and, and understanding that, that each different structural thing that you're trying to make more resilient, make more stronger, has its own different timeline and, and, and will work at a different frequency and each athlete's will do the working load differently. So just understanding that, yes, we've got to get those basic strength strength and movement competencies going, but understanding that, that they don't just, pardon me, they don't just flow on a, on a very sequential time frame. They're, they're, it, you know, it, you, might, you might be doing a hinge for six months. You might be doing a basic press for three months. It, it, it really is dependent not on actual time, but the actual competency of the movement and what you feel is necessary progression to go from, say, a basic push-up in a, in a press to, I don't know, say a dumbbell press into a, a bench press into, you know, some power throws or, you know, what what are each individual timelines and benchmarks? And I think that's that's up to, you know, there's so many different factors, but it's definitely up to the coach and it's definitely up to the athlete. Back to, I guess, pretty much what I, I do with all my uh, programming, whether I come into a new team or whether I come in, <coughs> pardon me, to a new athlete, it's what is the most important thing that we need to do now? So I guess also on, on a lot of that initial phase, there's a lot of talking. I'm talking with the coaches, I'm talking with the athletes, I'm talking with the medical staff. I need to know their training history. I need to know some of the positives and negatives of that that athlete from the coaches what 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 do we need to improve what are the key performance indicators that that you measure them on for, for this sport and, and how can we how can we make them how can we make them better is it an on-field thing is it a technical thing is it in the gym you know is, is it a is it a limitation of their you know is it something medical that we can't get by so it's it's having a full qualitative discussion with with all all the departments and trying to get the full breadth of, of, of information so we can make the right decisions going forward. Once we have all that, uh, I, I like to I like to do a movement screen, which is one that I've personally developed out there. And I'm not saying that mine is the best. All I'm saying is it's something that I've developed over time. And I think with a lot of the movement screens that are out there, it's which one sucks the least rather than one which works the best. I've just found that my one sucks because there's... I don't think there's t- there's anything perfect for any of these things. It's 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 something that you feel that that is meaningful to that you can check and recheck with your athletes. And the one that I've developed, you know, Boris from other ones and 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 Boris from some of the key competencies that I look for in my structural elements as well. So I like to do the movement, but I also like to do a, a musculoskeletal screen. Nothing nothing crazy, but just just a basic one of just muscles around the hips. Also, muscles around the shoulder. What what's the calf like? How tight, facilitated, and just just to see where those those are at. And that's borrowed pretty much from my time at the Victorian Institute of Sport. We always would have a musculoskeletal screen, and that would drive some of the medical aspects. And then we could do a, a movement capacity. Like all strength coaches, I'm I'm, I'm stealing, I'm borrowing, but that sort of drives, uh, I guess, the basis of 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 what we need. And then that. That drives, I guess, and, and this this is what was problem solving. We're, we're athletic problem solving. I do at this point in time because our competition is three months away, six months away, one year away, or this this athlete is developmental, uh, two years away. So we can do for them. They need to do X, Y, Z. That's going to help them 
be the athlete they are two to three years from now. We might have another one who we're working with who has, you know, ongoing knee. They're, they're going to have a totally different program. One's more basic, structural. For the knee one, it's it's going to make sure that he can just get by in a week-to-week pace, place until we get, get into the end of the year and maybe has a clean-out or something like that that can actually fix the problem. So how do I program? That, that's pretty much it with the basis where that drives from structural, that ties in hierarchy of needs, and I try to individualize my programs as much as possible. Obviously, within a large team environment, it's difficult. I'm sure as you understand that, but I still try to have some individual elements within that program that's more specific to to them. But if we can't do that specific individual program, what we will do, and I'm sure this is done by numerous coaches and other clubs, try to put them into buckets of of different different like-minded athletes, you know, guys that need to put on size and are young, guys that are intermediate, guys that are structurally poor and just need to pretty much do structural stuff the whole time and can't really work on power. And then you've got guys that are great and need to express that power. So within each each team, there will be you know themes that everyone will do and then there will be less and more depending on um, what th- they really need to help them develop as an athlete, but also being, being mindful that they need to, to play the sport as well. So uh, we, we can't always have time off and, and, and just worry about, you know, oh, we need to get them stronger. Sometimes you know, we need to walk and chew gum at the same time. So we've we got to do many, many things. And, and sometimes, you know, we're, we're, we're not really expressing strength and power as, as always like to be. We're mainly going in a rehab focus. So I've probably said a lot and not, not said much. Hopefully you can get a bit of an idea on what I'm, what I'm trying to suggest that, that I do. I'm, I'm more than happy to go into any depth of that if you Yeah, want. that's great. It's a good, really good overview and a great place to start just to give context into, I guess, your process and, and, and thinking behind planning your programming and, and what you value. So that, that's great. Brenna, really appreciate the detail there. I guess to kick it off with the structural fundamentals, if you don't mind, like going into, like you said before, allowing it, I guess it sounds like you need to earn the right before you go into the explosive, more advanced based lifting yeah which is what the athletes all want to do they all want to be more powerful but why is it important to build that structural fundamentals first before expressing power uh, what have you seen when it's got when that's gone wrong or conversely when it's done well what's uh, how does that pay dividends i guess for a long career oh look it's it's i think it's just so important that we can get that you know that sort of work done before they come into that high performance environment whether it's rugby league afl rugby union that, that before they hit that high high performance sporting environment, I think sometimes we like we, we probably do get a bit excited. We like to get the gym aware on them. We want to hit some numbers, and, and that's all great. But I think we need to understand the the context. So I'm I'm very big on you know a lot of the running sports. We need to be single legged strength. It's it's so important. So not only just you know the single legged strength, but the relationship between and the knee and the ankle making sure that they're strong, making sure we've got really strong but also functional glute meads. They can they can also, um, very important for stab- stabilisation of the knee, very important for preventing, um, you know, the large of the structural knee issues. The the relationship between the, the hips and the and the shoulder girdle, I think is really important. Uh, make sure that there's good flow there. So I, I do like an overhead squat as a as a as like a movement competency test, but I I like with a twenty kilo bar to actually put them into uh, a loaded just to see what happens when the blades put on the um, shoulder shoulder girdle and how that relates to the hips. 
Uh, what else do we like to do? We like to work a lot on um, shoulder external rotation as I guess a lot of the theories that we came through with structural stuff and VIS is a lot of sport. We all know this happens in front of us. It's it's a lot of internal rotation, not only of the, of the shoulders, but of the hips. So just making sure we're working strong on shoulder external rotators, nice isometric getting basic function and then into as well as through hips external rotation through the same thing it's making sure we're we're strong through those muscles so we can have not only good structures in the in the gym for jumping landing changing in direction and that's the same thing we want to do with you know being 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 stiff solid in our sprinting outside so yeah i, I guess they're just a couple of of the of the the basic not only the movement screening but they form a part of the structural strength moving forward be that you know the, they might be quite bad and and you know saying a lot of the, the titans guys when i first came could could barely hold a uh, broomstick overhead do a do an overhead squat but, you know that you, you can only do what your your body can allow it to do but pretty much now say six months down the track all of the athletes can overhead squat 20 kilo if not you know more but that 20 kilo is the basis and then that allows us to move on to it allows a lot more paths to open up in say with overhead squats so overhead overhead strength but overhead strength with good structural integrity so you mentioned individualization earlier yep. as well and yeah the, ch- the constraints that a coach will have a st- elite strength and conditioning or strength and power coach will have is obviously managing a big group uh, and trying to find that balance between what's practical and sustainable, I guess, for the coach, but also yeah, with the individual in mind. It sounded like there was like a size group, the developing athlete development group for for the younger athletes, and a structural group, and then more those that are ready for explosive training. Like uh, within your your screening as well for those that I guess the coaches identified from a performance point of view who needs size and who needs power and that, and then you take into account the medical information. Uh, some athletes that have their own sort of needs where they might be you know, in a grey area or is, do you tend to be able to, within those four, do you think pretty safely meet the needs of the athletes? That, that'll that really depend on the team. Look, you, you probably could fit most of them within that four, but look, even within that, I've, I've got maybe two that I just would call, I guess, basket cases. They're, 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 they're I, I guess, groin, groin issue guys that need a totally different program, really express much strength and power. So it, it's purely structural. But we we still keep keep the structural side of things, but we we still can maintain a lot of the other things that they still need. They still need strength. They still need a little bit of upper body strength and power because uh, rugby league's a brutal sport. You got to have you know 110, 115, 20 kilo blokes running into you. This is mass. You still need to create that. So yeah, also have yeah. There'll always be out, outliers, outliers, and that there always has been with all all the teams I've worked with. So there's always going to be. You know that guy's just been bashed up over over years. Say in the in the contact sports, or there's always going to be. Say even when I was in track cycling, the Chinese national team, some some athletes that just can't squat. They've just had so much back issues over many years. So we got to find other ways to get you know very high level of strength and power into them, but but without you know, a lot of axial loading. So like like I said before, it's it's it is large scale sort of problem solving with humans. And yeah, it's a, it's a matter of trying to, to, to get the best for every athlete with the buckets, but understanding that we will need to do maybe some, some different things on top of that to, to look after the guys who actually need a, a little bit more love than everyone else. 
Yeah, sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. And the musculoskeletal screen from a medical point of view, do you mind um, going into a bit more detail in how that guides your prescription? Is that looking like, is that like prehab exercises they do at the end of their strength and power program or is it how they, does it guide warm-ups like accessory lifts? hundred percent. Yeah. I, I guess the, the screen, like I said, is just borrowed off what the VIS used to do with the physios and that was very comprehensive. The one I do is it's it's a hamstring hamstring test, uh, piriformis test, Thomas test for the hip flexor, QL, shoulder internal, external rotation, and calf. Just seeing what's happening with with all of those, and that's just that's just subjective on a, on a five level scale. And obviously, each sport that I've worked with has a different range that athletes need to to be. Once again, it's subjective for the range I need currently for rugby league players, and then it's also subjective for the athlete that that I'm working with over many many years. And um, I, I find I find it helps me, it gives a bit of clarity to for me to program. In the past, I've I, I like to do it after after sessions, and I actually saw some research recently that actually confirms that that's a an actually a good way to do it. I couldn't give you the research off the top of my head, sorry, but yeah. Uh, a lot of that's confirmed about what what I've been doing for a while. So we would normally have like a, a fi- uh, fifteen twenty minute stretch after, or a fifteen twenty minute sort of period after after strength, where we can work on increasing range in certain muscles or or doing some basic sort of corrective exercises. If exercises and, and prehabby stuff works better before a session, if you're going to increase range, I, I believe that works better after a session, after a strength session. Ideally, what I've tried to do before is have a separate time where that's all we're focusing on. It's increasing range about certain giants. Once again, we'll have like buckets of certain certain guys who need very similar things. So it might be, I don't know, tight piriformis, tight lip, tight hamstrings. And, you know, we spend 15 to 20 minutes just on different ways to not only, you know, maybe partner stretching, maybe fascial stretching, maybe some rolling release, really depending on, on you know, mixing it up. And just keeping it, I guess, interesting because uh, it's it's probably the first thing that goes. The the athletes sometimes fail to see a lot of the benefit from it. Um, maybe they they can see it short term, but and sometimes efficacy long term. So it's just about yeah, just trying to lead those sessions rather than just saying, oh, you need to stretch X, Y, and Z. I, I think they there becomes more focus if not only the the prehab is is led and really driven. I think that can become a part of the this, this strength and power program and lead into a strength session. I've done that before. I'm not currently doing that, but hopefully we can move towards that in the future. And and those after after strength session recoveries, as it were, I think they're pretty important, even just for a 10, 10 to 15 minute stretch roll and then, you know, on, on their way. And if you're perhaps either have either always done it before or, always did it, or, or maybe others have always done it after, the fact that you've done both, do you, when you do, when you go with one philosophy over the other, does it change your tempo, your prescription of exercises or uh, how long you hold stretches for or, or even the method that you talk about partner stretching, fascial yeah. um, stretches? Like, yeah, talk us through that. Does it influence where it fits in or does it not really matter if, where it is before a lift or after? If you asked me 15 years ago, I would say, hey, look, it really is important about how you do it. Now, probably I'm not, I'm not so... Uh, dogmatic in my approach about how things should be done but look at the same time I don't think we need to go very aggressive stretching before a strength session I just don't think I mean the research sort of supports that it doesn't really it's not it's not a great part of the warm-up 
I think it, it's it's a good way to relax and 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 it's, I think it's a better part of the cool down. And I think more uh, corrective type exercises and you know I guess roller roller activation I think is more I guess pertinent strength power sessions rather than uh, after. So look, sometimes we you know as coaches we got to get it in when we can get it in. But in saying that, there's how I would like to structure things up, and then then there's always the daily reality. So. I'd probably prefer to get it in than not, but I'd prefer to probably go, if I was going to go for some more aggressive stretching, like the fascial and the, and the partner stuff, I would prefer to do that after a, a strength power session. On the flip side, I guess for the athletes listening in, what advice would you give around goal setting when it comes to your, your strength and power? Uh, is it is it best to have weekly targets, a daily target for that session, or more, more bigger picture, monthly, sort of quarterly goals? Look, I really, it really depends where you are as an athlete, and it really depends on, I guess, your if you're in a competition phase or if you're in a you know off season phase. But I, I really think you know, I, I know I'm harping about it on, on this all day. It really comes back to what's most important now, and that hierarchy of needs that you really need to fix. Not only, and you should know that it's an athlete. Even if you're, you know, a park or even part time amateur athlete, you should still know the things that you need to work on and get better on. And, and and you should be able to convey that to your strength coach or can convey that to what 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 you're trying to achieve with your strength power program. And if that is, say, you're for a 100-meter runner and, and you really need to work on, you know, the first five meters of acceleration, well, then, then that means you need to, you know, you might have structural issues, but you really need to work on that starting strength power to an off-season. Well, then maybe working on some of those uh, other other issues and maybe structural or long-term strength things that you need to work on, they're probably much more important going through, you know, that really strong cycle of, of power. So understand where you are within your your journey as an athlete, but your journey within your within the season as an athlete. There's some shortcomings and then understand having having talk with a good coach to to prepare realistic goals, but also benchmarks along the way that you can check off be them strength, power, metrics, structural, whatever. Discussed a fair bit from the physical point of view, how does sort of the psychological, mental aspects influence your, I guess, delivery for a session? Perhaps maybe it's been, they've been coming off a couple of hard losses or, or, or even if there's been some longer meetings and you feel like the energy's down, is there anything differently that you've sort of used over the years to, to help engage the athletes when they're going through a bit of a challenging spot? Yeah. No, I, I I really think that's a great question. I really think it's an underutilized element of of being a coach or being a strength and power performance coach. It is a roller coaster. Team sports really are, and I think sometimes we can get caught up on that on that roller coaster. And you know, it's 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 just not it's just not good for us. I mean, it's not good for the athletes to be constantly either or, you know high or low. So, I mean, I really came to that conclusion after working a lot with rehab and 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 found that. The, the stages of grieving are pretty much the same as the stages in gre- in uh, rehab. Uh, there's seven stages, you know, whether you're going through, you know, acceptance of 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 the injury, you know, first you're in denial, then 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 you're accepting, and then you move towards understanding, and then at the end there's you know you're moving into full full training. So I think we need to understand that as as coaches, sometimes we need to be that that soft ear. That, that the athletes need to hear sometimes we need to be a bit of a harder sounding board so that's that's what I try to do in, in a more rehabilitative setting to be that that sounding board to pretty much mimic where 
they're at within their their rehab. For for the main group, if they're coming a little bit flat, you know, sometimes you know we'll do something. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll you know we'll put on yeah. You know, everyone wears a basketball shirt day or shit shirt day or you know some something different just to take everyone out of their you know they're always thinking about themselves. What about thinking about something a little bit greater like like the team or you know getting getting different athletes to to take certain aspects of of the maybe the, the strength power warm up or just 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 looking for different ideas from from different athletes just just like you said when when you need to read the room and things are a little bit flat what 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 can we do different there's many many different ways to 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 go about that but yeah they're they're just a couple of things that that I've I've used recently and and sometimes we just go you know what look we just we're just going to knock this session on their head so you know that probably gets the the greatest applause, but but it yeah, it really depends on the situation, the time, and and what's been going on with the team. And the I guess what would be for for those developing athletes listening in, some common mistakes that you often find with with I guess new draft picks that come to the club or players that haven't had been exposed to strength conditioning. You know, what are some sort of early on in your career to sort of set yourself up with successful habits? Well, I guess is is don't be in a hurry to to get. Where you need to be. If if someone says quality strength edition coach says it's going to take six to eight months of X Y Z, it really is going to take that much time. So don't feel the need. I've seen this happen many a time for athletes to go do their extra sessions on on the side just to top up, and then next thing you know they're coming in and you know my shoulders hurting now, or I think a little did a little bit too much plyometrics. It's like well just just in the process don't put blind faith obviously in the process but make sure that you you listen to what the 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 strength coach is saying don't 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 just go ahead of yourself and start going down different paths and start shopping for different different answers different ideas because you'll always find you'll always find the answers but you probably always won't find the right answers so we certainly see that a lot with young athletes they're certainly they're, they're shopping for What's going to what's going to be the magical exercise to get the six months further down the track than than they currently are? So yeah, there's just no shortcuts. And if if you're looking for shortcuts, you'll find them, and then they'll manifest themselves as injuries, most likely. Of information when it comes to strength and power programming, I've I've taken two pages of notes, and no doubt the listeners have as well. So I really appreciate your time and and uh, yeah, just discussing both um, stories and experiences if you have, but also sharing. The, us your, your uh, methodologies and principles and, and um, yeah and how to apply it to a program. Is there anything that we haven't touched on, Brenda, that you'd like to I guess wrap up the topic? There's a lot more I could, I could talk about, but I think maybe that's for another time. It's uh, a lot of a lot of China sort of stories and just just different ways of of training strength and power athletes. I just wanted to say I've got I, I was asked to help author a, a chapter on speed for the NSCA on on strength and power for for track cycling so if you want to learn a little bit more about what i do a little bit more depth that will be coming out i think later later this year so it's a speed second edition so yeah you can either use it as a you know a doorstop or you can actually get something information out of it so it's up to you yeah yeah, yeah i love that congratulations Pat. that's a that's an awesome achievement well last three questions for me mindful of the time we've, we've nearly gone to 60 minutes so appreciate it but in your work life have you got any pet peeves anything that sort of fires you up from an industry point of view or things that athletes do or, or other s and c's 
you know, there's, there's obviously industry one, but you know, we could probably spend a whole program on that. I, I think I touched, just touched on it before, just athletes looking, athletes, coaches, everything, everyone looking for one or two exercises that we can prescribe that's going to be a magic, magic cure. Uh, I've had that so many times in different sports and different um, places around the world. It's like, it was a big one in China. They, they were looking for the magic. There's just nothing out there. It's, it's, you got to understand that there's, it's a structural process. And the other one is people that say core. We really don't know what they're talking about, but uh, yeah, that's I could go onto that all day. That's the favorite way to spend your day off. Look, I, I I like to get into a bit of yoga, Bikram yoga. Been doing that for a while, and and now that I'm on the the Gold Coast up here, really enjoying the beaches and just getting out and having a swim in the surf. Yeah, really enjoying that. Sometimes you know, get out on the bike and do some k's, but uh, yeah, I've been doing that much lately. Been a bit lazy, but yeah, like to do that on my days off. Yeah, get active and or obviously. Shoot, recording this in the middle of July of 2023. What's on the horizon for you, Brendan? What are you excited about for the rest of the year, mate? Well, look, I guess for me, because I've been overseas a long time, I'm just enjoying being back in Australia and, you know, good food and around family and friends and strength and conditioning. Now, really looking forward to, like I said, we're getting a new coach in 2024. So, always looking forward to the opportunities that come in with a new coach with, with, with obviously a, a really good reputation. Yeah, fantastic. And for those that have follow-up questions, is there a best place to get in contact on socials? Or Yeah. I mean, I'm not super active on socials, but uh, I'll, I definitely will look at it every now and then. I'm on Instagram at BPSNC. Um, uh-huh. I'm on Twitter at the same place, BPSNC, and I'm on LinkedIn under my under my name. Yeah, I'm more than happy to, to go through anyone anything anyone wants to talk about or any questions pretty much anything jack so yeah for those listening we'll add uh, the links to brendan's socials on the show notes so you can easily click it and, and connect through there and yeah thanks again brendan for, for tuning in and, and sharing with us all your knowledge mate really appreciate it and uh, yeah it's a fascinating topic and one no doubt that whether you're an athlete listening in or even a parent of a young, of a young athlete or of course high performance staff you've got some key takeaways and gems all the way through so thank you for everyone that's tuned in as well if you've Looking forward to our next chat so with Jonas Dodo that's just been booked in. That's uh, next week, uh, the 2nd of August at 2.30pm Australian Standard Time. So I look forward to seeing you guys then. Make sure to listen to the full recording. You tuned in with us with Brennan halfway through or three quarters through and you missed the start. Uh, make sure to catch it. You can find that on YouTube uh, before we release it on our podcast in the next couple of weeks. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, so I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane and I often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, sure yeah, game changes whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or 
through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was, you spoke a, a, quite a bit about, um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or, um, do physically that, um, you wish you either knew or did, um, uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that, in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's, that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm -hmm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and, um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and yeah. and yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.